Welcome back to Soul Practice, Raw Conversations, Real Practices. I'm Phyllis Mathis. And I'm Kathy Escobar. We haven't been together for many months now. I think our last episode was in May, and it is now today, November 6th. So six months is a long time. And I just want to name that it was a combination of things. We always take the summer off. We always take the summer off. And um, this season, as we transition back into fall, it's just been kind of a weird, it's just been a weird transition. It's that simple (laughs) for all different reasons. And um, you're going to hear more about uh, the project that Phyllis is working on in our next episode. And um, that's been that's going to be really fun. And there just was a lot going on for all of us. October is a really hard month for me um, with the fourth anniversary of losing Jared. And we just weren't ready. And then on top of it all, on October 7th, when we actually were kind of starting to think about getting back into the groove, um, Hamas uh, launched a t- an attack in Israel, a terrorist attack. And hostages and the whole thing, which has set off this really horrible, awful, terrible, brutal situation um, in the Middle East right now. And so we just have just been like everyone else in the world in so many ways, just off and lost and sometimes paralyzed and just holding it all. And so we actually got together last week to kind of get back in the groove. And we started to have a conversation about it. And we just realized that it just didn't work to be talking about it as two people sitting in our comfy places in suburban Arvada. It just didn't feel right. And um, we knew it the minute we started talking. And so we just got on the phone and called our friend, Suzanne Molnar, um, who's the founder and executive director of Beirut and Beyond. She's been on Soul Practice before, a longtime friend, and Phyllis will share a little bit more about her background. But we're just going to do this first episode this way because it's on all of our hearts and all of our minds, what's happening. And it's sick and hard and we need help and we need support. Um, to know how to be advocates and to walk this through. So I'll toss it over to Phyllis because they, that's, I met Suzanne through Phyllis and I feel so grateful for that. Well, I don't know what more to say, except um, that Suzanne is a really good friend. I consider her one of my closest uh, people and I've known her since 1995 when uh, she was my boss. Um, That's not a, you know, that's just a, she likes she likes Day. to hold that over my head let's just say and so but um i have been been a witness kind of up close and personal to suzanne's journey of you know just working a regular job to then trying to serve uh palestinians um as it, refugees in the middle east and every step of the way we've kind of been walking with her and and listening and sympathizing and supporting. And so um, I just want you all to know that this person has done her work and for the right reasons. And so I, um, she's been through war. Um, She's been through success and failure, health issues um, in in this 19 year journey. And so we're really honored to have you Suzanne here to help us somehow be with you and to understand um, and to know what we need to know 
in this conflict that's ongoing and brutal and hard to watch. Um, so welcome. Thanks for talking with us today. Uh, well, you're welcome. <laughs> when you guys contacted me, you're just like, hey, would you like to come on the podcast with us? I'm like, what do you guys want to talk about? <laughs> like, <laughs> hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Hair and makeup. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, thanks. I don't, you know, a, a few things that I just want to insert with, with the introductions, like this didn't start on October 7th. And I think that's really important for people to understand. Um, and the fact that we have to get to the root of it to help understand the current context and yeah. And I also have a hard time. I'm not trying to correct either one. You know, I also have a hard time calling it a conflict when you're talking about an oppressed people group, occupied people group, and then an occupier. It's, it's, it's hard. Like I know in certain circles that I use miss like words that don't, that I don't know are triggering either. Um, does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah. You're, and you're absolutely right. A conflict assumes that there are two equal partners that are just having some trouble. Yeah. No, and this is what we need, Suzanne. <laughs> this is why we need you. <laughs> because this so is think, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's important not to call it a conflict. Um because you have an occupying power and an occupied people. So there's obviously a power dynamics going on. Um I don't know, like where do you where do you want me to get in? Like we're we're talking on what is today? November. Sixth, November 6th. So this weekend, I think the latest stats that I saw for Gaza were over 10,000 Palestinians killed, civilians, uh, men, women, and children, innocent men, women, and children. Um, I think the stat was 4,000 children, which to me is grotesque. Um, there are 1.5 million Palestinians displaced within Gaza. And just keep in mind that the total population of Gaza is about 2.2 million. Um, and 70% of that population are refugees, not from Gaza. They were from surrounding villages and they were forcibly removed or fled during the 1948 Arab-Israeli war where Israel was creating a state. And so they were put into Gaza. So these are people that are not indigenous to Gaza. Um, I think that's really important to note. And so you have now 65, maybe I, I can't do the math in my head, but 65% of the Gaza population that's displaced where 70% of them were already displaced for 75 years. Um, that's hard. I mean, and, and they're, and they're big numbers. And I, I know it's hard to, I want to give people stats, but it doesn't, I think it overwhelms people to give them stats like that. Mm -hmm. So, but that's where we are today. It's day 30, I think, day 30 of the operation. Yeah, the war. So help us, I mean, what has, and this is, yeah, help us what this last 30 days have been like for you. For um, me? Yeah. <laughs> um awful uh it's 
I mean, I think I was telling you guys earlier, it's, it's, this shouldn't be about me. Right. And so I have a hard time because I'm always like refocusing people to Palestinian voices, but as an ally and as somebody that has worked with Palestinians, it's going to be 20 years in a month um, for 20 years. This is a very painful position to be in. Um, not only am I witnessing, it should be a painful position for any human being to witness the kind of brutality, um, the kind of violence and, you know, that innocent people are suffering through, you know, and the lack of medical food, water, fuel, all of it. So they don't even get proper medical care on top of the trauma. I mean, we could spend a whole episode and just talking about the trauma of children. You know, I know you've seen them covered in blood and dust, just shaking. So, you know, that brings up my own trauma of being in the 2006 war, right? So dealing with my own trauma, I'm trying to hold a space for my Palestinian friends because they are not okay. It doesn't matter what country they're in. Um, can I um, ask a question or ask you to talk about one of the things that's been most impactful for me knowing you and witnessing, you know, what you've been doing is how you, um, your organization is not a political movement. It's not a political statement. It's not right. about you know, what should be happening in Palestine. Your, your organization is about relief, reconciliation and relationship. And, the most impact, one of the most impactful things for me to witness is your friendship with Palestinian people and families and um, how you describe their culture in regard to you. And because, I mean, we have in America, you know, we have images from Munich um, in the, and we have, I, I think that it's pretty standard to label any Palestinians as terrorists. And I, I admit that I, I thought that that was true um, because in all my ignorance, um, all I got was some of those images. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your relationships in Jordan and Lebanon with, with your Palestinian friends, people that you are actually working with and what impacts you so much that you've given 20 years of your life to uh, advocating for them? Sure, that's a, that's a good question. I do I do want to point out this. Um, I think where we are, we're you know whether you want to call it the continuation of ethnic cleansing of Palestinians since 1948 out of historic mm -hmm. Palestine or a genocide. What's happening in Gaza? I think our own lack of soul work, our own misinformation, our own racism that we have against Arabs, our own Islamophobia um, is what is perpetuating this and what kind of gave the green light in it. I think that, um, you know, we all have those images, right? And part of what's so distressing to me you know, when, when it was circulating in the news that Hamas beheaded babies or they raped women, like in my soul, it didn't sit in my soul. Like I could feel, I'm like, this is not the Palestinians that I know. I don't care if they're Hamas. Like this is not the values they have as a society. And guess what? It turned out to be false. 
Like there's no evidence. It was propaganda that was, you know, put out there. And, but we believed it like that. There was not corroborated. Main news media sources went out and regurgitated this. And it sat with us as Westerners because it's like, well, of course, Arabs are barbaric. Of, of, of course, of course. You know, it just fed right into that. And I think that's important to note because even for me, I was like, it just doesn't, I can't believe it. And it's not because I was in denial, but you know, when something doesn't sit with your soul because you know people, and I'm not saying that they're not capable of that. Like we are all capable of doing that kind of, that kind of horrendous thing. That's, that's the, that's the tension we live in. Um, but I think for me, <clears throat> what has kept me going with Palestinians, they I just respect the hell out of them. I respect the hell out of them that they can, I expect the hell out of them because they continue to live in the most horrendous situations without basic rights. And they just continue. They don't give up. They just continue and they celebrate life and they mourn their losses. And I have learned a lot about hospitality from them. I have learned about Part of why it didn't make sense to me about the babies is because Arab culture in general, but Palestinians value children more than we do. You know how we like shuffle kids away in a big event, like you go play in your room or just be quiet. Children are the center of that event in this culture. They're not told to like go to the, go to the side, you know, like go to your room, just be quiet. They're allowed to be themselves. Um, which leads to a lot of chaos, actually. Um, but this is a, a a society that values welcoming guests, and um, it didn't surprise me when Hamas released those two older women, and you know, the the Jewish woman said peace to him and shook his hand on the way out because they treated them well. Now, are they going to do that for everybody? I don't know. But did that surprise me? No, it didn't, because that's a value of Palestinian culture. And so um, I think when you look at, I don't know how they keep going, because we would have given up long ago. When you look at the decades of oppression and subjugation and exile and humiliation um, and torture and murder, and they just keep going and there's a pride and they should be proud that they're Palestinian, where the rest of the world views them as, whether it's terrorists or lower than, or they're Arabs, they have a beautiful culture that should be celebrated. And um, I think part of it is, for me, it's like respecting that now, understanding that I can never, like, who do you think takes care of me in the Middle East? Do you think I just like, who, who do you think feeds me? Who do you think when I'm in trouble takes care of me? Yeah. I've heard these stories from you and it always blows my mind. They and just, they give you the best of what they have. They give me the best of what they have in a refugee camp. Yeah. Like they don't give me what they have. They give me the best of what they have to honor me as a guest. Guys, I have to tell you, I'm going to deviate from one thing that I need to tell you because 
hearing from some of my Palestinian friends who have lost family in Gaza. Um, and the vast majority of basically who follows me on TikTok are Arabs, Muslims, Palestinians. You know what they keep saying to me? Thank you. Mm. That's yeah. it. It makes it makes it's super humbling. They just keep saying, thank you, Suzanne. Like, thank you. Keep going. Keep educating, please. Thank you for standing up for us. Thank you for being with us over and over and over again. I had a good friend of mine who contacted me who said, how are you doing? I'm like, how am I doing? <laughs> what are you doing? And he, he said, you know, just, he said, we, he said, we love you and we appreciate you. And I need you to take care of yourself. Mm. That kind of says, it kind of encapsulates everything I've heard from you about them. That's who they are. That's who they are. And so seeing them portrayed over and over again um, as barbarians or animals is so painful um, because it, it falls right into our lack of critical thinking, our soul work, our own humanity. And I, you know, it's hard for me not to lose hope in humanity in watching this, that we think it's somehow self-defense to cut off food and water and medical care from to a population of 2 million people who are innocent, whose only crime is they were born in Gaza. That's their crime, you know? And I think not knowing, I think what's so important for us is we've got to keep educating ourselves. Like hopefully people understand now there's been a, a barricade on a land, air and sea since 2007. Israel decides how much food they get, how much water they get, how much electricity they get, how much food they get. And it's just enough to keep them going. So yes, that's, that's part of what's been the most painful is watching this unfold and the, just the dehumanization of Palestinians, which is what I feared from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and then how silent everyone is how silent because if this was happening to americans or a western world it would be it would be outrageous and so i think for me like trying not to lose my soul in this like how do you how do you balance that how do you how do you balance that we only value certain certain people's lives certain groups lives um that is incredibly painful I think to witness and I I think I guys told you before it's like is so is this what happened during you know slavery and and the Holocaust major you know human rights abuses horrific crimes against humanity that we were just quiet like I we th I think it was I, I, I can't stop thinking about that silence that we have and that kind of a it's like a circuit breaker switch that goes off where we we kind of don't press into what is actually happening and it makes me wonder if if as a nation that was founded by taking other indigenous people's land and then when they 
rebelled against that and tried to fight back, we called them savages and we brought overwhelming force to neutralize them, let's just say, and move them into places where they're not going to bother us. And so our own complicity kind of in our bones from our own heritage, it's like, there's a sense of, well, that's what happens. That's what we do. That's how, that's how West, our ancestors in a way conquered the world. And then we, and then we conquered this continent. Uh, I just, I, it makes me wonder if deep in our bones, that's the little switch that turns off. Because, because it's the exact same thing happening there. We've done it. And it's exactly what's happening. It's settler colonialism. And I know people don't like to hear that, but you had an immigration of European Jews that survived the Holocaust that settled. What, you know, historic Palestine, modern day, the state of Israel. And so, you know, are they, are Palestinians, what, what were they supposed to do? You know, are they supposed to just, be quiet and accept their fate. I, I don't, part of it is you cannot, I, I heard um, Rashid Khaladi, he's a professor at Columbia, Palestinian American. He wrote a really, really important book called The Hundred Years War on Palestine. I highly, highly recommend it because he actually brings his family's history into it. Um, and it's really, really good. It's academic, it's personal. It's a, it's a lot of things. But he, at the very beginning of this, uh, operation on Gaza, he was like, you cannot wall up 6 million people for 75 years and, and not expect that kind of pressure on an entire people group to produce a response. And that response is more likely going to be violent. Mm-hmm. I'm not justifying it. It's a, it's a, it's a human response. Um, but you have to remember that Palestinians have been involved in um, nonviolent civil disobedient, uh, the first intifada, all, I mean, not all, there was some violence, but nonviolent civil disobedience, not paying your taxes, demonstrating, and they got killed. One of the things that we're not talking about in Gaza is the great march of return that happened in 2018 to 2019, where the mass mass populations of Gazans went to the border to protest peacefully. They didn't, they weren't carrying weapons to protest their right to return, which is enshrined in international law that refugees can go home. They're willing to live with alongside their neighbor. They were picked off. Like Israeli snipers picked them off and they like 46 children were killed during that year period. I think it was over 200 Palestinians who were just peacefully demonstrating on the border. And they even targeted medical people like paramedics were killed who were clearly marked. So, you know, part of me that's, I'm like, well, if, if they, they can't do it peacefully and then they do it violently, like it's, it's this weird, and I'm not, like I was a civilian in a war. So I know firsthand the kind of helplessness and the horror that being a, and, and I think I'm in a unique position as an American being a civilian in a war. Um, I know what that is like and I know what that produces. And I actually, left Lebanon and then got counseling, you know, but the trauma that produces and how to move forward in that. So I don't, so part of me, I'm sitting here going, well, I don't know what they're supposed to do. Are they just supposed to be quiet? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. 
be well behaved and accept their fate. I don't know. Well, and I think that the part, like I listening to you and I think you're just nailing something that I hope all of us are really like, won't just let that go by because it's kind of everything. And, and you built on it, Phyllis, it's just that it's, it's in us. This is white Christian roots supremacy. It's just in it, in all of it. And, and it's so deep and there is that blind, the silence. I mean, I love that what Phyllis said, this, this switch goes off and it's just, we have this way of basically disassociating. Mm-hmm like a true disassociating. And that's I you in a lot of your work in the Palestinian learning parties and in a lot of the educational work you do, you talk about the um, trauma of the oppressors, you know, and that that's in there. And so this like horrible, horrible, wrong response that mm-hmm. now all these generations later we have because white supremacy, white Christian supremacy is in us. And I think just like honoring that and owning that and just like seeing it all through that lens, because as you're talking, you know, this is the intersectionality on it all. It's so, it's so um, magnified on this and that the helplessness and the powerlessness, mm-hmm. it's like you're screwed no matter what, either mm-hmm. direction, mm-hmm. Um, which in this month and the United States is, you know, Native American Heritage Month. And, you know, it has like the story has different twists, but same idea. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I think like the part that I keep being like with, and I think people listening is like, what can I, what do we need to, what do we need to know, which is, this is a piece of it. And like, how can we break our silence and like, gather some of the things that we need to shift what we can in our places. <laughs> and right. I think that that's, that this one has, I mean, watching people get shut down mm-hmm. so fast and watching yeah. the narrative so fast was just like horrifying. I, 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 I couldn't believe it. I had to get off social media. I just couldn't see what people were saying and posting. I'm just wondering, like, we're all listening and we're like, I don't want to be silent and I don't want to be complicit and I don't want to disassociate, but I, I kind of don't know what to do or how to be in this that is resonant with healing and freedom and liberation that we really do want for our friends. Right. Um, I think a, f- a few things and I can give you some practical things, but I think one thing that I, I encountered a group of Gen Zers on Saturday night. I want to tell this little story and I don't know, they're in their twenties and we started talking and they're like, Oh, well, what do you do? And I'm like, I'll run a nonprofit. They're like, Oh, well, what's your nonprofit? I'm like, I work with Palestinian, you know, I'm just taking a breath at this point. Like I work with Palestinian refugees and their faces dropped. They're like, oh my God. And they they actually proceeded to tell me what they knew, which was a lot. They were very well informed. They called it what it was. They talked about it. They asked me in-depth questions like, well, wait a minute, but who governs Gaza? Like they asked me more detailed questions about things. And I saying goodbye to them, they were like, oh my gosh, thank you for like talking to us and what you do. And I'm like, 
thank you. You guys actually gave me some hope that people can be informed and can be confident enough to speak into it and know that this is a human issue. This is about humanity. Um, I think, I mean, if you want to see somebody get abused, go to my TikTok page because like, I mean, I, I just had somebody comment, like, are you one of the ones that like funnels money and gives it to terrorists? <laughs> like, you know, I've been called a Jew hater, anti-Semitic all day long. Like there's nothing that can happen to you <laughs> that hasn't happened to me. Um, and I think, of course, you don't want to get involved in that. Now, I think it's important for people. I don't argue on social media. I think you guys have seen that. Like I put out the information that I put out and then I just like, let it go. And if people have questions, I'm happy to answer them. So I think that's really important is not to be swayed by the name calling or, or people coming at you because it's all they have. If you present some facts to them and they come back with that, I'm like, you got nothing. You got, you can't address what I just talked about. I think it's important to continue to advocate. And as on a personal level, I've contacted my representatives so many times. Jewish Voice for Peace is doing an incredible, credible job right now. And I have the utmost respect for them. They actually, if you go to their website, they have a form where you put your name, address, your representatives will come up. Who are your representatives? They have a script already written that you can edit, and then you press a button and it sends it to them. It literally can take you a minute to do it. That costs you nothing. And tell, you, us again their, tell us again the organization's name. It's Jewish Voice for Peace. Okay. They are the ones that have been mass protesting and getting arrested. Like they filled up a Grand Central Station in New York a couple of weeks ago and all got arrested. Like high, high respect. And they're just like, you're not going to do this in our name. Um, so it's super easy to do that. I've called my, you get the same thing. Like you can be polite. You can say, I want a ceasefire. That's bare minimum. What needs to happen right now um, is a ceasefire, bare minimum. That's all we're asking for right now. <laughs> um, and you'll get the same standard thing back. You will from all of them. And that's okay because they count, they count the calls, they count the emails. And it's important for you as I feel like for me as a person to be like, nope, this is where I'm standing. This is what I can do as an American because we're in a unique position as Americans. That is something you can tangibly do that doesn't cost you a lot. And don't be discouraged with the response. I, okay. I've gotten it for 20 years. It's the same response. I also just want to say education, right? Um, and I have been so, so happy to tune into your TikTok page. Um, it just makes so much sense to do these tiny little snippets of really potent information on the whole history of Palestine. Mm -hmm in in our era and uh and I'll, I'll never forget the one that you did following a theoretical child who was born in Gaza um and has been through five wars yeah. before the age of 14 I I can't get over that I just can't get over that and the impact of that and a whole population of children who've been through five wars with really Where's that going? Exactly. 
And you as a, as you, as a therapist can understand the trauma associated with that. And if that child lived, if he was born in 2007, all he's known is the blockade, right? On Gaza, five wars. If he lived, his parents probably didn't live. His, his school friends, his schools were bombed. Um, aunts, uncles, cousins didn't live. So you think about that multiple trauma um, happening. So I think it's really important to try to personalize it mm-hmm. a little bit um, and put faces on it. So education is is key. Um, so yeah, that's why we've been, I mean, I, I started doing it before this all happened. And so it just happened to be beneficial. Um, well, yeah. Plus you have, you have so many resources listed. That's the other thing, books, films, articles, um, that there's no excuse not to be informed. The information is right there. Yeah. That's literally the information is at our fingertips. It's if you want to learn it or not. And I, I will always, always, because it's not about me. It's always, always about Palestinians. So I will always point you to Palestinian voices, always. And, um, that, you know, you can look on my Instagram page of who I'm following. There's, I'm following journal, Palestinian journalists in Gaza that are risking their life. And they're talking to us in English, not their, not their own language. So we understand because the Arab world understands what's happening right now. It's so you understand exactly what's happening to them. Um, That's really, really important. And I know some of it is uncomfortable. I know seeing people screaming over the dead bodies of their relatives is not comfortable, but I think it's really, really important. I think, I think what they're recording and how they're risking their lives is heroic. Um, I think that to me, that's part of Palestinian culture because they're doing it for their people. And I think, you know, always listening to Palestinian voices, Mohammed El-Kurd, who is a author, journalist, who is based in Jerusalem. He was really uh, highlighted, I think in 2021 with what was happening in Sheikh Jarrah in East Jerusalem, um, because he lives there. He's done some incredible work and some incredible videos on Instagram and, um, Twitter, so I or X, whatever it's called now, I would follow him. Uh, uh, Noura Erekat is Palestinian American. She's a human rights lawyer. I would follow her. She has because she is a lawyer <laughs> in human rights. She has some very good insight, which is what we need instead of all of this toxic emotion stuff. It's like let's let's get some facts on on what a war crime is on what, what legally can you shut off food and water to a civilian population? You know, all of that, I think is really important. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, who do you think educated me? Which of course, I think a lot of people would be like, see, that's why you are the way you are. Like, that's why I can't trust you. But um, <laughs> it's why we trust you. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's it's important. It's very, very important to amplify those voices, share, you know, my Instagram pages. I'm always on my stories. It's always sharing what they're shooting and their voices because that's really, really important. 
It makes me think too on the silence part that um, social media is a really powerful tool. It's a really powerful tool, but in our, you know, this is the same. It's there's just so much in terms of the work of true anti-oppression work that, you know, this is a, this is a moment that we can we actually can practice something different right now. It gets possible, but what yeah. is what's terrible? It's like so many things. I think about George Floyd and you know that moment. It's totally different, but it, you know, mm-hmm. there's like this initial thing that happens. And then this is the long haul work of anti-oppression work that takes decades and lifetimes and all the things that you've been involved in for so long. But I do know that in every circle we're in, we can share a better Mm -hmm. story, a different story, a different angle. And that every single time it will mix up, it'll shake up people Mm -hmm. that don't wanna hear that story. Or don't want to talk about it and all those things but it's like our responsibility it is something we can do and must do it's the smallest thing on our end and it's not that big um it's dumb if you really think about it like can't we not just share that in these circles but that's the courage like it, it, we need to we need to like get over it and do it what's gonna happen to you are you gonna you yeah. know like you are you gonna be bombed no, you know, I have, I have Palestinians on TikTok telling me to be careful. Like, please be careful. Please take care. I'm like, they're not going to kill me here. <laughs> I'm not going to die here. So I think there's a point, Kathy, where we have to take responsibility for ourselves and our conscious and our, our soul work. Like you have to, you have to take responsibility and, you know, even I love that people are asking me so many questions right now. I mean, I'm inundated and that's good. But at the same time, I'm like, but you've got, I can't spoon feed you this. Like I can tell, I can give you resources and I expect you, I do expect you to look at those resources and learn something. I can't keep like, I wasn't spoon fed. (laughs) Like I took responsibility and, and it's because I walked through a refugee camp, Palestinian refugee camp in Beirut. And I'm like, what is this? How do I not know Palestinians are refugees? And I took responsibility because I, I remember sitting in that taxi, going back to the hotel in Beirut going, how do, how do I, what did I just see? Like, how do I not know that? How, how? I took responsibility in that. I didn't like, I started researching. I started reading books. I started like, getting some knowledge of basic historical facts. And that's really, really important. You can't expect people just spoon feed you this. That's part of the problem. Good, thank you. What else needs to be said? Does anything else need to be said? I mean, so much could be said, but I think, uh, you know, in some sense, it's it's part of the problem. Um, There's a lot being said um, that shouldn't be or or is useless to be said. We have a lot. We have a a hard time listening, don't we? Yeah. Um, We have a hard time listening, particularly to marginalized voices, Mm -hmm. because it it confronts the story that we want to tell ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is, um, thank you, Suzanne, seriously. 
And yeah, because I mean, we, we, we got, we felt bad really honestly even asking you to do anything um, right now, but you do, I do believe you have a very unique role as an ally and bridge builder in this moment. And so we want to support you in that. And um, just like your Palestinian friends who are saying, be careful, take care of yourself, you know, make sure you're okay. We need you. Um, I, we want to be that for you too. And so what are some ways that we can support you in this season so that you can keep amplifying mm -hmm. Palestinian voices, advocating for um, a shift in, in humanity that's needed right now and to change this single story that's embedded in so many people that needs to be unwound and a new, a new truer story needs to be told. Um, what can we do to support you? What can we do? <laughs> you know, the first thing that came to my mind is like, don't be dumb. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is practical, guys. Right? Stop <laughs> being ignorant. <laughs> I, I, I mean, if you guys understood those stupid TikTok videos, how much time that takes me and how much, like I know basic stuff, right? But then when you start investigating, because I, so I have so many people coming at me, how much work that is taking, like do something with it. Uh, like if you've learned something from me, do something with it. Don't just ingest that for your own knowledge or inflate it or think it's about you do something with it. That's how you can support me. That's the best way of respecting me and my Palestinian friends and Palestinians in general, um, do something. And we've given you, even in this podcast, ideas of what you can do. And I've given you several resources, even while we've been talking. Yeah. So good. Okay. So don't, let's not be dumb. And, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. We love it. That was a very eight moment. That was a very anti-grab eight moment for me because I'm like, I just want to bang my head against the wall. Like, why are you so dumb? <laughs> <laughs> for good reason. Um, but Beirutandbeyond.org is the website. And um, then you can follow from there all of the socials that Suzanne's on because there's way more in the socials on um TikTok and um Instagram and Facebook than there are on the website, but that's your good starting point. You can give that way and then not just follow, but also share. That's the best way to um, connect. Is there anything else? Yeah. I mean, we, I've had to make some tough decisions. I, I don't, because aid's not being let in to, to Gaza. I don't feel comfortable raising funds and being transparent with donors. Like, I don't know how to get this in. I don't know how, when we can, um, you know, so I've been outsourcing it. Like, you know, there's a couple organizations that have been doing really good work, medical. I don't know how they're getting resources in or if they can get money in. Some they can get some money in, um, but there's limited supplies in Gaza. But I, I had to make like really hard decisions. I still have commitments um, with, you know, uh, hopes for women in Gaza camp in Jordan and then in Lebanon, especially if, if the war, God forbid, uh, extends into Lebanon. And so, you know, like on Giving Tuesday, we're raising our librarian salary in Gaza camp again, because I'm committed to doing this. And it feels hard and weird to do that. And yet they're still valuable and they're still, 
you know, there's still things happening and they're taking care of their community because they're refugees from Gaza, you know? So they're really struggling as well as a community. So yeah, so it's making, trying to make hard decisions like that. And you can follow us to see what we're doing, but anyway. Well, we always wrap up with just like one thought for the soul and one practice. And so when people come, we always just ask, is there one choice is short, just like one reminder for the soul as human beings, like living in the time that we're in, like something that a reminder for the soul and, um, and maybe one practice you might've already kind of shared the practice and something that yeah, don't, be dumb. don't be dumb. <laughs> I love that. Um, actually, you know, what's been helping me because I'm on social a lot, trying to get news and forward news and monitoring like my accounts, um, with the amount of hate I get, uh, being sitting in some silence mm. and seeing what sits with your soul and what doesn't sit with your soul. And for me, it's letting out a lot of grief. Um, as well and letting that come and not suppressing it or not trying to go why why am I feeling this way um that's been really important for me so good thank you Phyllis mm -hmm. uh I, I mean I would just want to say I got nothing mostly but um, <laughs> yeah I mean there are a lot of practices for sure but but it's like the human soul is capable of better than this and the human soul is connected to all the souls yep. that are living on this earth and just to remember that like if if you if you listen you know that everyone involved is part of the human soul and we are all connected so good um, on the practice side, I mean, I feel like it's already just been named and it's just like, do something, like do something. And you said that it was, I love what you said, like, don't just ingest something, like do something with what you learn. So whatever that looks like, and it can be a conversation, it can be social media, it can be a group that you lead. It, it's just like, do something that um, shares the story, mm -hmm. the story that's unfolding before us that is part of um, human history that we have clearly not evolved. And so if we could do something, say something, move something, it's worth it. Any of the actions that Suzanne said, so that's what we need to practice. We actually need to see the practice of things that she asked us to, to That's practice. right. <laughs> so. Uh, Suzanne, she will come for you. Do something, or she will so come says for you. The H. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your Thank time. You so Thank you for. Yeah, all thanks you for do. asking me. You're thanks for an asking. amazing advocate. And Love you guys. We're grateful. All right. Till next time. <laughs>